welcome to the Emergence Discipleship Podcast, created to equip ourselves with insight, background, and context into the themes and topics we study each week, first as we gather together to worship Jesus, and then as we go and make disciples. Let's dive into this week's discussion. All right, welcome to week two of our mixtape series. Mixtape. Yes. No, that's more of like a... Oh, who is that with excellent volume that I hear? It's Kristen again. Hello, Kristen. We definitely, uh, one thing I was saying that I was dissatisfied with your uh, uh, womanly uh, um, performance last week yes. on the podcast here was your volume. And so it should be better. Hopefully. Yes. Um, full disclosure, this is actually not Kristen Gorder. Who this, am I is, talking? this is Ryan Franey. Ryan Franey. Yes. Guest, guest appearing again. Yes. Two weeks in a row. Yes, indeed. And the sel- and Ryan has provided us with the seltzer of the week. Are you ready I to did. crack this? So this is something he scored. What's the name <laughs> of the store again? Uh, and That. And That. It's over by the Planet Fitness here in Woodland Park, right? Yeah, like in that, right in Tectotua, kind of. By that shooting range. By, it's by, like, on the border. There you go. Okay, right okay. on the border. And I think we're all talking about the same thing. And this is what? What is this flavor? Concord Clementine, which By Concord Cola. like a great like a grape. Yeah. And Clementine like an orange. Yeah. This is so, a limited edition polar that he scored. Very interesting. So let's go ahead and crack that open. All right. So trying for the first time the Concord Clementine. Well, I definitely taste the Concord. It tastes like grape soda without sugar. Yeah, I was going to say like um, like a grape Jolly Rancher. But mm-hmm. it's got a little bit of like a fresh Concord taste to it. You know, it's got that bitterness that you don't get with the um, with yeah. grape candy. But not too bitter where it's like medicine. No. It's actually... I'd say it's slightly medicine-y. Yeah, but not like too intense. Yeah, the, the Clementine... I'm not getting a lot of. Nope. If someone was like, this is just Concord grape, I'd be like, all right. But maybe not. Maybe it's got some. But it is a delicious offering. You know? And I saw the price tag on this thing, too, right? It was like two bucks $2. and change. $2.67 or something can't beat like that, that. For, no. uh, for like, what was it, like a 12-pack or a six-pack? Six pack. Tall cans. Yeah, these cans are tall. Like, um, what else is tall like this? Uh, like, like the uh, Target brand seltzers are like this. All right. So, um... I'm actually in the interest of time, but we're probably not really going to be doing announcements on this podcast anymore. Uh, thanks to uh, the Lord confirming to me, both through Stephanie and Ryan, that I am uh, loosed from that responsibility. So just yeah, you can have like a you can have like a seltzer review or yeah. announcements. You can't do both. Yeah, though. I mean, we seltzer go- takes precedent. Yeah, I mean, you can't cut that. So like, what else am I going to do? Right there, you go. All right, so um, just read the announcements. You. Spoiler alert, they're exactly the same as last week. I didn't touch a thing. So, um, okay. So today we are in a, a mini-series within a mini-series. Yes, we are. So this is Batesel's, uh little Song of Solomon uh, run through here. I think he said he's doing three messages yep, like this? Yep, three weeks. Yep, one of three. Three weeks. Are mm-hmm. you doing one of a Song of Solomon message? I am not. Ringwood? I'll be preaching... The week after the oh, series is over. You can't tell us what it is. No, yet, it's a secret. It's top secret. Top secret. I'll try to find out, and if I do, I'll email everyone. <laughs> I'll let you know. Okay, cool. Well, um, so yeah, so he's in Song of Solomon today. Only the first ten verses of the uh, of the book. 
which is uh, very manageable, I thought. Uh, but they're quite poetic verses, too. Mm -hmm. Like Song of Solomon, I think, is this book where interpretation is very, it's very obvious that, like, it, you're, you have to engage in the science and art mm -hmm. of biblical interpretation. Yeah. Would it's not narrative. It's not. It's not narrative. Clean reading a story. There's a lot of. And uh, it's super esoteric poetry. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, like it's harder to to understand than most poetry, I would think. Especially when you keep in mind that the she, others, and he designations that are in most of our English translations are not there in the Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And so this is just like you know the translators discerning. All right, this is a different voice now. This is a it's a male voice. This is a female voice. This is a plural voice. Yep. And yeah, so there's all that. And then the imagery is unclear uh, a lot of times because it's taken from ancient Near Eastern things, you know, like, yeah, I wouldn't think the same thing when I think of like a, um, a vineyard of En Gedi or, you know, or, mm -hmm. or pools or, of Bashan. Or yeah. Things like that. Yeah. The roses of Sharon. Um, yeah. All these things. Uh, so definitely a challenging book. Um, should we say anything else about Song of Solomon in general? I got a few thoughts. I don't have anything. Well, I have an interesting podcast. I have an interesting thing that I was reading on it today. Um, so, um, all right. So, a lot of us probably have heard about the fact that it's very common in throughout the Christ, history of Christian interpretation to read it allegorically, right, as mm -hmm. a love of God for Israel or love of God for the church. Um, and I think the way that that is usually answered is that, like, that's typically not a good idea, uh, especially since, like, the only reason one would have for even doing that is the fact that it's in the uh, it's in the Hebrew Bible, right? It's in, the, it's in the Old Testament. If you just found this book, like, buried in the sands of some place in the ancient Near East, yeah. you would never... Um, you would never um, think, Come oh, here's an allegory. Yeah, yeah. You, you would be like, this is a love poem. Well, yeah, just in general, with biblical interpretation, you always want to ask yourself, well, who is this written to? Yeah. In its, you know, in its original context, mm -hmm. before jumping to this is, you know, an allegory. Yeah. yeah, this is an allegory, which doesn't mean that, because some that, of the prophets yeah. use, use love relationships as an allegory for Israel in the church. Mm -hmm. I think of Hosea, for example. Um, but there it's a lot clearer that it is like it never really tips its hat. So, and the other thing that's interesting too, if you are thinking about reading it as an allegory is that the, the one who seems to be more into the relationship at a lot of points in this is actually the woman. Mm. And so a lot of interpreters have pointed out that if there is an allegorical aspect to it, <laughs> God is actually the woman in this relationship. Mm. Whereas the boy would be his people. Um, but the the reason the main reason why most people, including us, don't, uh, including ourselves, we don't typically read it as an allegory is just because of the arbitrariness of it. Like, mm -hmm. it, there's no real way you can control interpretation. Anything can be made to mean anything. That's not to say that there's never any symbolic meanings of mm -hmm. things in scripture and literary interesting literary things. But even those have to be grounded in the text somehow, mm -hmm. as opposed to grounded in essentially. We don't know what this book is doing in the Bible. Yeah. And actually an interesting alternative proposal for what it's doing in the Bible has been given. And I'm only saying this because I think this is profitable for the, anyone studying this book. So 
in ancient Israel, the main alternative to worship of the one true God is the worship of Baal, right? Baalism. Mm -hmm. And Baalism, in, its, uh, in the way it was practiced in fertility cults, was through sex. And so sex under a Baal-worshipping religion mm -hmm. is often linked with fertility, uh, perhaps the strength of the king, right? Mm -hmm. Things like that. So it's this quasi-magical act. Um, that's why cult prostitutes were so popular in fertility re religious cults. And so this, it's hard for us to see, but that's kind of like the default Canaanite way of looking at sex mm. as, as connected to this foreign deity who becomes this main competitor for Israel's affections with Yahweh, with, with the one true God. Mm. And so Song of Solomon d Baalizes sex. It makes it so that it's yeah, it yeah. It makes it so that it's a gift of God to be enjoyed, but not imbued with like, like the most. It is very theological thing, right? It's something that we get from God, and the Lord places us with those, and we're in a monogamous relationship. But it's something to be celebrated for its enjoyment, for its um, uh, it, it's it's freed from the confines of this yeah like religiously you know this religious box that yeah, frees up to be a gift of a gift of creation a gift of a gift of creation which yeah. is why this is a wisdom God. book yeah. right wisdom books are often very yeah. earthy like yeah it's an accumulation of human wisdom in the context of god's world which he's created yeah yeah so i and and i've got a cool quote let me just read this quote and then we'll yeah, get going. go for it so this is um this is by um I think it's George John bon Jovi. Schwab. Oh, no, yeah. Sorry. So this is this is his article in the Dictionary of Old Testament Wisdom book, uh, a fabulous um, part entry in a fabulous collection of intervarsity yes, press dictionaries. Is. If anyone's looking to beef up your library and has uh, some coin to drop, let me know, and I'll point you to this. But here's what he writes. He writes, "Song of Songs seems to seems simply to be stating the trivially obvious, but when it is remembered." that this vision has not always been accepted, this vision of sex, and that ancient Israel flirted with a very different understanding of sex than Song of Songs with its tacit polemic against Baal makes perfect sense. Sex and God go together, tamper with one's view of either, mm -hmm. and the other is also affected. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was profound. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm glad I wrote it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the study guide. Let's do it. All right. Sounds good. Okay. So uh, first off, I give a little bit of a leader's note for you in here, just to remind you of kind of the direction that Ryan went with the, with some of the sermon. So first, Ryan said that he sees the Song of Solomon as about Solomon's repentance for the things he did wrong in his marriage and an appeal to the daughters of Jerusalem to get it right and not make the mistakes that he made. So this is the way that uh, Batesel, through his study of the book, has come to view it. I would say that I view that I am in large agreement with him, although I'm not particularly persuaded personally that Solomon wrote it. Mm -hmm. I think at the very end of the book, you actually have a contrast between the um, the voice in the text and Solomon. Um, it's a, it's actually a really cool verse at the end of it. So, um, and and it's not like you know obviously it's totally sane and and plausible to say that Solomon had a hand in the composition but note what it says in chapter 8 verse 12 
My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. Right? So first off, you, O Solomon. Doesn't sound like Solomon's writing that. But And notice how cool that verse is, right? My vineyard, that is my wife, the one that I have, okay, is my very own. She is before me, right? Solomon, keep your thousand wives. Yeah. Mine's better than that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. Guys, was... guys, this better make it into a Valentine's Day card. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I didn't want to go into this, but what I'm my favorite kind of interpretations of the book as a whole is as a critique of Solomon ah, and, uh, and his reign kind of looking back at it. Nice. And, uh, if you want to talk about that with me offline, love to dig into it with you, but Mm. yeah. The who's, who's going to pass on that kind of green light (laughs) better clear off some time on your schedule here. Yeah. So, so as you see, like there is some wiggle room in terms of interpretation, but a lot of the, you know, the individual passages, you know, it doesn't really matter who you think is writing it. Right. Um, so, okay. So let's, let's, let's get into it. Um, first off, we start with a heart question. Where do people tend to learn about relationships and sex and how do these sources mislead us? Hmm. Ryan Franey, where do people learn about relationships and sex? The Bible. Okay, aside from the Bible, <laughs> only the Bible, <laughs> and of course everybody knows parents. that. Yes, no. um, I mean, you know, culture, mm-hmm. friends. I mean, I even for me, it was really young, like yeah, like grade kindergarten, first grade, yeah, from peers, from friends, you know, learning from their older older siblings about these things. I might it, be it, dating myself now, but I know like I have friends who would steal magazines from Quick Check, and yep. that's how. You know, we learned about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> have fun <laughs> learning that these are your teachers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we learn from sources that are totally devoid from God's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I learned a lot, not so much about sex, but about relationships from watching my parents, too. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's a big thing that we all carry into our marriages is, is what are the healthy things that I observed in my family? And what are things that are patterns that I better stay away from? Yeah, you know? for sure. Yep. Um, <clears throat> I think with this one too, guys, as you're leading your groups to realize that the, the way the question is answered is where do people tend to learn about relationships and sex? And I think the sad truth is that we live in a culture where abuse happens and trauma happens. And um, just even my few years in pastoral ministry, um, it's surprising at how many people have these experiences. And so just to be mindful of that as you're having this, these conversations and even throw it out there to let people know, hey, if you have walked through any kind of trauma or um, or abuse in your past, then why not unpack that? We have a counseling referral system uh, as a part of the church and also R&R on Tuesdays just as a resource to some people as we, we dive into these topics. Yeah, the, like you really have to be discerning because sometimes people will put it all out there, you know, and mm-hmm. want to share with the gr- whole group about... Um, you know something traumatic that or inappropriate that happened to them, and in some groups that might be you might be able to handle that, but um, other groups it might not be appropriate to share that kind of um, information with people. And so, just as a leader, be very conscious of what kind of things might crop up here, yeah. Um, and uh, you know try to steer the di- the conversation in a direction that is uh, um, appropriate uh, mm-hmm. and and wouldn't make somebody who's not speaking out feel exceedingly uncomfortable or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
All right. Uh, second question, and this is really for every, any and everyone. Why is it so difficult for people to think and act with wisdom in romantic relationships? I can think of a few reasons. I see you've got a few written down Yes, there. my first one was hormones. Oh, hormones. <laughs> Made it difficult. Yes. Um, yeah, but I think, uh, you know, also just social social pressure and expectations. Uh, again, going back to my anecdotal experience, I mean, even in middle school, I remember it was like, you know, sixth grade, sixth, seventh grade, it was like to get a girlfriend or a boyfriend. And uh, I remember my, my first girlfriend I had, it was which consisted of like sending each other those like little love notes with the gel pens. Oh, I'd be man. dating myself there. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, that was like dating. And then I remember breaking up like a month and a half later. It was just bizarre and weird. But yeah, um, there's a lot of social pressure, I think, even, you know, at that young age. And mm -hmm. as you get older, um, even more so. Um, even just like the expectation that to be a whole person you need to be with someone right mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. this idea that we inadvertently create even with our christian subculture mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and well and I, could, I mean that's like a christian college thing right like yeah you got to get married before you graduate oh i went or... to moody bible institute they <clears throat> called it moody bridal institute <laughs> That's not to say that um, that's not to deny that I left. What's it uh, called? Like ring, marrying someone, but ring, ring in the spring or ring, ring by, by the spring, spring or something, or something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another thing too, another reason it's difficult to act that I will often throw out to people when I'm trying to like make the case for, you know, pumping the brakes on the physical in a relationship is that hmm. I think that getting getting physical early in a relationship really does also hamper the ability for the relationship to develop healthy. Mm -hmm. Because we, one of the most confusing areas for our mind and for our heart is in love, especially when you're deriving pleasure from another person. Mm -hmm. And so the person that, the, the couples that indulge in, you know, physically with one another before marriage can tend to, people can tend to confuse physical enjoyment with true compatibility. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you truly do follow the Lord's design for a relationship and and wait until you're inside the covenant of marriage with that you know that if you're having a hard time it's true that's truly a hard time that you, if you're truly compatible that if you're compatible then you are truly compatible yeah it's not um you know those kinds of things and, yeah and plus like we've got all kinds of other things too like we've got all kinds of like unhealthy ways of thinking about relationship some people are in love with the idea of a relationship rather than the actual person mm -hmm. you know just being in a relationship is something i have to have and i'm just gonna fish around until i find whoever will join me on this quest for idolatry um yeah so yeah yeah um, i mean with that it's like because god i think Part of God's design in sex is that it's supposed to be like a glue mm. and almost to help when you have ah. conflict to kind of come together and have this experience that kind of, you know, like helps you stay unified and feel good about each other. Um, where that's you know, an interesting perspective. Yeah, because it's almost like you can almost it's almost akin to if you're dating someone and like, I don't know, all you do is party and, and you know, mm. get drunk together and whatever. Um, it acts as like a disguise to maybe real issues in the relationship because you're always just having a good time. Yeah. Um, what if all I do is party with the Bible? Well, then I just read in my Bible all the time. 
that would be really awesome. That's right. I'm drinking self pounding seltzers. There you go. We should yeah. like shotgun seltzers in here. <laughs> That's all. Put a hole in the bottom of the can. <laughs> They're bad. They're bad. We need to talk to them doing this podcast. Oh jeez. We'd just be burping into the microphone the whole time. It'd be bad. It'd be a bad thing. But anyway, yeah. So I think it acts as a as a glue, and um, almost to, yeah, help you. I can't think of the word I want to say, but like not make it okay, but kind of add this layer of um, you know, connectedness yeah, that helps yeah. you work through the problems. I mean, yeah, um, I mean, uh, not to, do, uh, to, 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 to stray too much from our PG rating here, but like the act of sex is a physical experience of your one fleshness mm -hmm. and being reminded of your unity, is, uh, the, the, you know, the fact that you are bone of bone and flesh of flesh mm -hmm. is a profound thing that ought to have a say in any conflict yeah so i'm not <laughs> now we're not saying of course yeah that like that you makes, guys better yeah. be sleeping together if you're arguing or anything and you or that it makes everything okay about, yeah or that it fixes it all your problems okay, but yeah but. <clears throat> yeah this is uh all right well hard turn interesting right. a conflict resolution uh, proposed <laughs> yeah. here by mr ryan franey um Again, if you want to email him. Oh, man. All right. So All right. <laughs> in the sermon, Ryan pointed to five tests in the first 10 verses of the Song of Solomon. Now, this is kind of like the um, the body of the discussion. The two were kind of like warm-ups, general questions. Um, so, yeah. So now we're going to look at each, each of these uh, five things. So the first test is the goal, the goal of a relationship. Um, and uh, go all right. Uh, sorry. We, uh, we'll, a slight computer malfunction. We took care of that there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the, the goal of a relationship. So um, Mr. Ryan Franey, would you please read for us the first four verses of the Song of Solomon? Would love to. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. There's a reason why I had Ryan read that. And there's a reason why I didn't look at you as I was reading it. <laughs> That's awesome. And you know what was doubly funny is I just took another big gulp of this wonderful seltzer you brought here. <laughs> And as soon as you were like, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, <laughs> I let out this huge burp like under my breath and got away from the mic quick because that would have been hilarious. Good though, work. If uh, in the middle of that verse, I was just like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so what, so uh, now these verses cover the first couple goals. So it's not just the first one, but what did Ryan mean by saying that people get either weird or worldly with verse two? So let him kiss me with the kiss, kisses of his mouth. So what's weird and what's wor worldly? What are the two ways we can go astray here? Do you remember that? Yeah, I think what Ryan was getting at um, was worldly is that we are, you know, we sleep around and engage sexually before marriage as we're not, you know, God calls us not to. Uh, and then either that or the other extreme, we get weird about it and make dating such a complicated thing with all of these very hard rules and boxes mm. and almost put it to the level of like scripture in a way. 
um, I think is what he was getting at, where mm. it's like, not that that stuff's not helpful to have, you know, boundaries and things like that around dating, um, but, you know, it could almost get weird with it, you know, where yeah. it's like, you've been thinking about it too much, like... I mean, yeah. I remember when I was, um, when I was single, and, you know, the, the few brushes with dating, I never actually really dated a Christian girl before I met my wife, Aww. but that's not to say I didn't go out with anyone, but, you know... And the, the, the complication was, like, not only do you have, like, the agony that is romantic life, but on top of that, it's like, which one of the Christian books on dating has mm -hmm. she read, you know? and uh, <laughs> um, Okay, so I was actually, um, I was understanding it a little bit differently, yeah, actually. It... So I was hearing it, like, uh, kind of like how we, as Christians, think about frank descriptions of physical love like okay. this, right? Like, that it's either... You get worldly, like, yes, this is warrant for me to be mm -hmm. totally inappropriate with this. Mm -hmm. Or I get weird about it and, like, I this just makes me squirm. It makes me uncomfortable and I will do everything I can to avoid this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess either of those. <laughs> yeah. uh, Ryan Batesel, if you could uh, call into our show and be the tiebreaker. Let's that try would to get him great. on the line here. Yes, get, get, get him on the line. Um, all right, that sounds good. Uh, young Jamie, could you pull that up? Could you pull up Ryan Batesel there? Anybody who can tell me what that's a reference to, you win a can of seltzer. There you go. Okay. Um, what is the goal of romantic relationships for people who don't know God, and how does that differ from God's good design? Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so the goal of romantic relationships, I mean, it could be anything, right? Like, um, worldly for yeah. God. Yeah. I mean, as a guy, you know, pre-marriage someone who doesn't know God, um, to have as much pleasure, to have as much physical pleasure with as many people as possible, mm -hmm. or, um, perhaps like to, to fill some kind of hole in my life, you know, that this is the pinnacle, this is the pinnacle of my expression of love. Mm. That's, that's the most, I think, I think, you know, somebody who's kind of like settling down and is, I think of some of my friends from high school, you know, who aren't like, yeah, let's just sleep around as much as possible. Now they're married, they have kids. But this is like, almost like the end of life. This mm -hmm. is the purpose of life. Mm -hmm. Whereas the purpose of life for a Christian is something bigger than that, right? Yeah. To know God and enjoy Him forever, or to know Jesus and to make Him known. And marriage is, is a part of that. Romantic relationship is, is a part of that. Um, so, yeah. And then there's, of course, all different ways that we twist God's design, both in like, who we love, what what sex of people we might love, how many partners it's acceptable to have, mm -hmm. um, what it's acceptable to do when, and um, ways of, of perverting the way that God designed human sexuality to be. Yeah, I um, the way I was thinking of it, saying what you said just a little differently, is that like romantic relationships from you know dating through marriage um, for someone who doesn't know God versus someone who does know god and knows christ can be seen as almost like the the goal is self-fulfillment versus spiritual spirit spirit ah, fulfillment that's awesome yeah where at the end of the day i'm doing this for something as an end to self um, my own right pleasure whether that's physical or emotional or you know practical that this is it's just practical to get married because you save money on taxes and then you have mm. someone so you're not alone right um it's fulfillment of self versus a fulfillment of the spirit, God's spirit in you and what he's calling you to mm. uh, in life. Um, and, you know, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that to, you know, submit our bodies as a living sacrifice, 
wholly and pleasing to the Lord as a spiritual act of worship. And um, whether as a Christian from considering dating to considering marriage, in marriage all the way through, um, our goal is to be spirit-led in, in God's purposes. So. Yeah, that, that what you said there made me think too. Like in, in a Christian marriage, like our job is to point one another to Christ, right? Like if she is treasuring me above all things, I'm failing as a husband, mm -hmm. right? My goal is to get my wife. I mean, not, not as if like, you know, I get my wife to do anything, but you know, my, our goals as, as, as Christian spouses is to, um, is to stoke our beloved's joy mm -hmm. in the Lord as much as possible and yeah. to encourage that. And I don't really see a similar thing in worldly mm -hmm. relationships, right? Like, yeah. whereas my goal is to get them as in love with me as possible. Mm -hmm. My goal is to help my wife be in love with Jesus as much as possible. Yeah. Not to say that I do that all the time. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I revert to worldly and mm -hmm. want her love all for myself. But, yeah. you know, that's that's the ideal. All right. In view of your answer to the last question... What, I forget what my answer was. Uh, what is a wise attitude towards dating people, uh, dating for, for, people. for people who do not see themselves being married within the next two or three years, and why is this wise? And this is something that Ryan also suggested in his sermon. What was the suggestion? Ah. I can tell that we are going to be friends. Nice. I can tell Friend that zone. we are going to be friends. Exactly. So if, if that's not really on your radar screen, then... Dating is kind of pointless or bad. Well, it's be, yeah, learn how to be a really good friend is what he said. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. that's really wise. Yeah. Uh, and then he also said with that, um, <clears throat> there's this concept in our culture of like the one that is out there, ah, searching yeah. for the one and hoping that the one comes to you. And Or, Ryan, or in Matrix. Matrix yes, or, yes, or Neo. Um, <clears throat> and Ryan was saying Anyone that. see the new Matrix? I didn't. I Anyway, that's a sore, sore, sore spot for me. Um, and uh, what Ryan was saying was to work on being the one that if the one comes along, well, if the one comes along that you are the one for them, basically preparing yourself mm. to, in growing in character. That's um, not in the Bible? Is that in the Bible? No, <laughs> no it's not. <laughs> okay, yeah. I was like, wait, I don't, I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If there were such a concept as <laughs> the one. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and it's it's just, um, you know, kind of like, what are you doing here? Um, trying to... And people sometimes don't even realize that they're doing this, too. Like, But, like, um, I think a struggle that sometimes, uh, you know, all of us can have is that just because... You, like. A, you know, what about dating for fun or something, you know, like mm -hmm. just because when you get into a dating relationship, you have very little control about where a person, the other person's heart is. Mm -hmm. And just because you're thinking of it much more ca pretty casually doesn't mean that they're thinking of it that way. Mm -hmm. um, and it's one thing I told everyone at college-ish, um, I think it was last year, but like if you're dating someone like in, in church, like, it shouldn't be such that, like, if you guys broke up, there would yeah. be, like, this huge split in the church, this big dramatic thing. I mean, sometimes that's unavoidable that, like, people, you know, are going to, you know, you're not going to be particularly fond of the person who just broke your heart or something. But, like, it, uh, un unless 
both people are pretty sure of like you know that we're we're pursuing God's design for a romantic relationship it's kind of like you, you you're going to do more harm either to the other mm -hmm. person or your own heart yeah uh, or to the community of faith in general because mm -hmm. let's face it if you're dating someone you've met at church mm -hmm. then like that person's got their friends you've got your friends and suddenly you have this weird romantic relationship factionalism <laughs> growing like yeah. we all don't like him or we all don't like her yep um and so yeah it, if you if if marriage is not on the radar screen then I don't know. I, I went for a while with, you know, living in that, in, in that, you know, it's a, I called myself a bachelor to the rapture. That's what <laughs> me and a couple of the guys at my college were. And then I met my wife and the Lord threw in some other plans, but um, there you go. yeah. All right. Let's talk about the next um, test character. As Ryan noted, your name is, uh, is oil poured out refers to the good reputation that someone has, right? Your name. Like, uh, that, mm -hmm. that is my name. Uh, uh, this is something we should all look for in a godly spouse. They have a reputation for knowing, loving, and serving Jesus. All right. So that's the direction um, Ryan took this in. Uh, what are some character flaws that you have that tend to get amplified in romantic relationships? It's time for the, sp for the spilling of guts oh, here. Yeah. It's funny. I, when I read that question, I didn't realize that it was personal you. That it was general. Ah, <laughs> but yes. my answer still applies, which was everything. <laughs> oh, man. Well, <laughs> everything bad about me gets amplified. Yeah, but, but I it's think... It's very much true, yeah. right? He yeah. compared it to money, too, right? Money does mm -hmm. a similar thing. Yeah, I think uh, to elaborate on that a little bit, um, I think that when... I mean, especially in marriage, right? Um, well, even before then, if you are pursuing someone and um wanting to wanting for them to like you and mm -hmm. you know and you're getting to know them and all that um and you're trying to be honest and transparent and vulnerable and all that stuff um you're gonna start noticing even like i feel like what are my motivations of why i do certain things mm. um how what idols do i have in my life that inform what i do so i feel like when you as you move to, in the same way as like as we grow towards intimacy in general with with people and with god we're more exposed for where our hearts are really at yeah so and my man and your sinful decisions no longer impact only you now yeah. they drag other people down with them more so yeah. than than regular they do regularly mm -hmm. all right so what is the right attitude that god wants us to have towards our own character flaws so like when, what what should we have towards the things? What attitude should we have towards those things that are that are character flaws in us? Yeah, I think it's it's a balance, mm. and I think the if we're standing on a precipice right or a, a narrow high rise and we can fall off to the right or the left, you ah. know, the one side could be. Um, like you're like you're a Russian teenager filming yourself with a GoPro <laughs> on top of a roof. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, that, I'm following. Yeah, picture that in your mind. Yes. And uh, if you fall off to the one side, it could be um, just I'm a failure. I'm awful. You know, I I, I can't believe I did this again. Um, and then the other side is oh Jesus died for it, so it's okay. It's not a big deal. And mm. the truth is somewhere in the middle. And I thought of Philippians two, 
hmm. 12 and 13. Where, Forgetting what lies behind? That, uh, no, where he's, uh, Paul says to work out your salvation oh, with yes. fear and trembling, for it is God who you know, is, is in you if you're willing to act for his good purpose yeah. to realize that, like, yeah, we should care about holiness. We should care about our, be aware of our flaws and then, you know, work on them with fear and trembling to really, really give mm. it all we have. Um, and yet to realize that it's God working in us. That yeah. It's, he's, he's the one who's doing that work in us and that thank you, Jesus, that we have your grace and mercy and compassion. That is such a cool way to put yeah. it, right? The, the way Paul says it there, that like, it's just, it's totally us working in such a, committed way that we are fearful and trembling yeah and yet it's god work the reason is because it's god working in yeah. you so it's like who did this you or god yeah yes yeah, yeah. And, and and it's so profound because it's like the reason why we do it with fear and trembling isn't because like it's our own might that's going to get us there but it's it's gratitude that god in christ is working us is going to bring us to completion yeah and to make us into the image that he wants us to be in the image of his son. And like, that's such a gift. Like we don't want to take that lightly. We yeah. want to, we want to honor that. And so mm -hmm. anyway, yeah. and, I, and I will say that like, if, if you don't allow the Lord to go to work on where he wants to go to work in your life, he'll go to work one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. He will go to work on it. And yeah. <laughs> um, you will not run from the, from the master of the entire Creation. Yes, I've tried. Um, yeah. Have you tried? I've tried. I've heard of people who try. <laughs> I've read some books about them. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, how do we strike a balance between being foolishly blind to a person's shortcomings and being so overly picky that no one can live up to the standards we set for them? Well, for me, um, I mean, part, part of this is being honest with my own heart, right? That mm. I'm like... When have I crossed that line? Then the line might be gray, but when you're over, you're over, right? Like uh, that I'm just making excuses for a person, okay? Like they they one day, and especially if it's like one day they'll do X kind of thing. Now, you have no guarantee that this person is ever going to be different than they are right now. Um, and um, yeah, like, and, but then at the same time, like, yeah, also have to be honest with yourself, like when you're just that that you're being too un your expectations are too high, you're mm -hmm. you're being un you're being unrealistic. Um, so I think for me, it's it's a matter of honesty with myself, mm -hmm. uh, discernment, uh, bringing talking it through with other people. Now mm -hmm. this is a tricky thing, right? Because you're talking about other people's shortcomings. Yeah. So I don't want to come and be gossipy to my friend Ryan here and say, hey. Uh, my significant other does this, 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 and this. What do you think? I would say I can't. Uh, you're gossiping. That's yeah. right, you, you idiot. You're going under church discipline <laughs> now, so take that. How, how does that feel? I'll see you at the next now members meeting. Now who has shortcomings. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I can talk to her about your gossip. Yeah, yeah. Actually, let me talk to Phil about it first. There you go. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, um, yeah. yeah, so I think it's honesty with oneself about like, you know, and, and, and being, letting another person in. Like, uh, sometimes it, it does take other eyes on the relationship to be like, you guys are being a little unreasonably, you know, un, um, unreasonably picky or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think talking about it is super important. And like Doug said, you know, being wise and discerning with who that might be. But I, I would say, especially the person, if you are dating and definitely if you're married, mm. uh, I want to, to be able talk to, talk to them about, about them about those things because a lot yeah. of times it could 
pull out or draw out, like maybe it's a hidden sin issue. Maybe it's a, a blind spot for them. Maybe it's something that goes deeper for you than it should for some reason. And by talking it out um, and asking questions, you can get some clarity that could help both of both of both people move forward. Um, one of the things, and I, Ryan said it in a way in his sermon, but um, you know, there we all, you know, there's nature and nurture, and so we all, um, you know, grow up in a way where, for whatever reason, there's going to be certain areas uh, of life, personality, um, that are going to be more important to us than others, and that's not really good or bad. It just is what it is, and so, um, especially looking towards like marriage, if you're in that spot of where you are dating or maybe maybe engaged, and you're saying, hey, I, I want to maybe marry this person, and there's and things come up where you're like, that's really annoying, and that bothers me that they do that. Um, first of all, talk about it. But then second of all, um, the the question to ask ourselves um, before we get married is if this thing, this character flaw, this issue um, doesn't change and this person remains this way for the rest of their life, am I still willing to commit my life to them? Now, there's always, especially when it comes with issues of sin, there's always a uh, chance and room for, you know, God to grow them and, and people to change and to grow. Um, but if nothing changes, right, having having expectation that this is how they are in this area, um, God, are you still calling me to this relationship? And I think that's a really kind of sobering and uh, realistic and healthy way to kind of look at, look at some of these things. Good thoughts all around. Um, Okay, cool. So, so we've talked about two of the tests here. Now we are on to friends and family, the test of friends and family. So uh, to start this off, we ask, what is the significance of the label others halfway through verse four? And there I give you that leader's note, something I already explained that, that these designations, others, the, the, those don't appear in the Hebrew text, the he, she, who is speaking now. Rather, that's discerned by um, the clues that the translators pick up. And sometimes you can see things in English more than you can in, uh, I'm sorry, in Hebrew more than you can in English. Mm -hmm. um, and a good case in point of this is, so notice how the voice shifts. It's now a we who is speaking, okay? Mm -hmm. So this is like, you could kind of think of the Song of Solomon. Literally, oh, some people do think it was sung. And mm -hmm. so like this is the roles, like the dramatic, like here you sing, now the chorus sings, and now he sings. Um, so you kind of think of it that way. Now, what's interesting here is we will exalt and rejoice in you, the you here. And it's, this is not indicated in, in translations and footnotes typically, but this is the man is the you. Mm. It is the male who is the you here. It's not to say that this wouldn't apply to the woman at all or anything, but just so you know, so this is, these are other people speaking of the man whom the woman is talking about. And the reason we know that is because you in Hebrew can be either masculine or feminine, mm -hmm. and these are masculine forms here. So we will exult and rejoice in you, the one whose kisses uh, she desires, right? We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do, the, rightly do they love you. Mm -hmm. uh, rightly are you loved by people, you could say. And so the significance here is is that not only does it help us in understanding like the texture of, of, of the scripture here, but it actually indicates that there are others who approve that he is a good choice. He is indeed a good catch. You should pursue this. So this is 
the voices of other people being brought into the relationship and speaking over it, right? Mm -hmm. And if the opposite was true, they might be saying, we reject you and think you are <laughs> the scum of the earth. <laughs> yeah, so that's the significance there of, of it. Uh, any other thoughts on that, Ryan? I, I no, feel like that I one's kind of straightforward. pretty well covered. Um, yeah. The next question is a head and heart which is, why is it a good idea to be open-minded to the input of your friends and family regarding the character of a person you're dating or would like to date? Yeah, yeah. Why is that a good idea? You know? Um, maybe maybe it's not. Maybe this, maybe it's a bad idea, and this is, question is just like begging the question in the wrong direction. Maybe, but I don't think that's the case. No, it's not. It's totally not. not so. Definitely not. All right. Um, I, you know, would submit things such as you know people that are you know family right parents siblings close friends they love you <laughs> they're you know they're for, they're for you they want the best for you and um they're going to give you an honest you know assessment of things mm. and oftentimes we can be we can be blind in the moment and those that are around us can have they're not the ones who are infatuated yes. with, yeah, um, yeah. Love is love blinds us. Love or, blinds or, us. Um, notice too that I purposely didn't say why is it a good idea to always listen to the input of yeah. friends and family because they're that they're not speaking gospel truth. Yeah, and you need to have a discerning heart. Like when okay, you think that I will take that into consideration, but maybe I. Um, yeah, it's hard. I, I can say that, like, I, I know of a situation where, like, early on, uh, this guy was in a relationship with this, this, this woman, and they ended up getting married. But the friends had thrown up, like, some flags early on. Mm -hmm. And, like, ten years later, they manifested themselves as seriously, serious trauma in the relationship. Mm. But they were disregarded early on. And that doesn't mean here's a reason for you to break up with this person, necessarily. It might mean that. Mm -hmm. But, um, but rather, um, you know, here is something that you might want to look at and address early on while the problem is small before unhealthy patterns get normalized. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. So the so wisdom does come from others, and I'll just add to this that it's okay to talk to any and everyone whom you regard as a family and a friend, but particularly you should yeah. listen to wise believers in your life. Because you want really want someone bringing the God perspective yeah. in, yeah, um, yeah, like someone who loves the Lord might be perceived perceived by the world by you know someone who doesn't know the Lord, mm -hmm. who doesn't know Him uh, as as a loser or something, yeah. and you know you want someone who has kingdom values in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. All right. The test of faithfulness. All right. Uh, how about you read Psalm uh, Song of Solomon one five through seven, and I'll read eight. 8 through 10. That sounds sounds wonderful. All right. I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where, you're, where, you, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? This is where the interpretation gets a little tricky. Um, let me just stop here for, before I read the second passage and note that 
The third question under faithfulness, it's a head question at the beginning of page three. Uh, that m might actually, in your conversation, make more logical sense being asked first. Yes, I So agree. it's like, what, what does the woman mean by describing herself as dark here? Uh, do we have any thoughts? I've got something in mind. Uh, did, did you have any thought on that one? Uh, uh, no. Except, All right, so, I mean, it was yeah. because she was out in the vineyard. She's out in the vineyard. Tan. She's working hard. Yeah. yeah. And Batesel covered that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, okay. Um, I'm going to go to eight, chapter 8 now. Try not to read Isaiah instead. Um, all right. Uh, others, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. She, I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. All right. So chapter eight, what's meant by these images of a wall and a door? Um, well, well, the um, wall, you know, a wall is like it's going to keep wall, you it's out, keep you out. And then a door is like going to let you, you in. know, like like you guys get it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> the way Ryan said that. All right. I'm done with that one. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah you, you get it. Right. And um, and the one that brings blessing and happiness here is the wall. Right. That's mm -hmm. let's build battlements on it. Let's in other words, let's make this city secure like that. That's that's what's going to provide for a secure, well-planned out life. Right. Like you're able to build battlements yeah. on the wall. Yeah. As opposed to it's a door where enemies can come in. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is the metaphor there. Would um, you say purity is kind of like the yeah. main, main thing? I, I think that that's what's in view. Yeah, yeah that that, yeah. that a wall is somebody who, I mean, you can think of it this way. A very common euphemism for sex in the Bible is to go into. Mm -hmm. Right? And I, I think that this is what this is getting at. The yeah. woman is being portrayed as a city as a or walled village of some sort. Yeah. And yeah, which is just so countercultural because yeah. culture, you know, says that remaining a virgin or whatever is like that's like the worst, and not the worst, but yeah. it's like the goal is to not and um, yeah. counter that is true happiness, true blessing is from honoring God and you know. yeah, I mean the it's so it's striking how how much the opposite is so much the case. Yeah, I mean, ask any Christian with a healthy marriage, and you know. Many of them will have been virgins until they were married, but many as well will not have. And ask how much, uh, what value there was yeah. in in taking lovers before they were married. Yeah. Um, usually, I would say nearly a hundred percent, nothing but regret. Yeah. Um, let this is yeah. Yep. Um. And so yeah. Um. All right, in the sermon, Ryan said that the best way to know if a person is going to, oh my gosh, to honor you sexually after marriage, so that B shouldn't be there, um, oh. is whether they've honored you sexually before marriage. Why is this the case? Um, why is that the case? Well, I mean, it just shows real practically um, that if they were willing to guard themselves and honor the Lord in their sexuality before marriage, then... Yeah. after marriage it because typically the reason you do that now there is like this like kind of weird purity culture that grew up in evangelicalism that sometimes um critiqued these days um maybe for the wrong reasons but you know 
where the idea was if you save yourself for marriage, you'll have the best sex ever. Mm -hmm. You know, where you're kind of like enticing someone with sex to not be sexual. Yeah. And that's not really the goal, right? And the fact of the matter is, is that there will come a time in your marriage, no matter how much you love the person, no matter how perfect that person is for you, when the only thing that's going to keep you from sexual immorality, whether it be with another person or with your fantasies, mm -hmm. is going to be your love and regard for the Lord. And if your love and regard for the Lord does not keep you pure before marriage, it will not keep you pure after. Yeah. Um, well, I don't want to say it's that mechanical, but right, like because p people can change. Mm -hmm. But again, this idea that mm -hmm. like you don't know you're ever going to be different, you don't know you're ever going to change for the better. Yeah. And then the other thing I would just say is that um, a commitment to the marriage covenant to the to God's design. If you disregard that, you are a disregarder of God's covenantal arrangement for human sexuality. Mm -hmm. And although you might gain some traction early on by the mm -hmm. by the uh, the buzz and the high you feel from being married to a person, eventually that will wear off and you'll be left in a covenant relationship with this person. And is that enough to keep you faithful? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then even real practically, like what you practice and what behaviors and habits you have tend to tend to linger and carry on. Mm. Um, and so yeah. the habit of honoring the Lord with your sexuality versus not, will yeah. carry into, into the marriage. So Yeah, so, um, all right. So let's just keep trucking on here. Uh, we already talked about what it means by describe her herself as dark. Why is this relevant to the topic of romantic relationships? I think it's because um, here you have a woman who is hard hardworking yet lacks, like, symbols of beauty and prosperity in the culture, right? So she's got something that's very worthwhile, and yet, um, it's because of her integrity and her hard work and stuff that, like, she's um, she's different than what is typically considered beauty. Mm -hmm. And um, yet, she's lovely to him. Yeah. And um, I, so I think, like, that's a tremendous thing right there. All right, so final test, insecurity and shame. So read so Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. I'll take that one. This is a he passage. If you, if you do not know, O most, be most beautiful thing among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Mm -hmm. All right. By the way, if you do have questions about symbolism in here and want to contact me, feel free to just shoot me an email and I'll be happy to give you my take on, on some of this stuff. Um, all right, how does the man respond here to the insecurities the woman expressed? Kind of already tipped my hat to this in the last question, right? So she's insecure, she's, she's very dark, but she's lovely. So how does he respond to that? You're the most beautiful thing among women. Yeah. You've been out there with the flocks, Bring your flocks by by the besides the shepherd's tents. You know, um, this is uh, this is this is uh, you know how you do it, how you do it well. Mm -hmm. But 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 you are beautiful to be so shepherd those flocks because this is making you a, a good woman. This this hardship that you endure mm -hmm. is making you better in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to add to that? Nope. 
Oh my you gotta goodness. You got to cover. You're just, you're just on so fire, thorough. Doug. You're, you're in the Ow. Most... Stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> All right. Oh, man. What are some other ways a godly spouse should handle the other person's insecurities and shame? Mm. Yeah. I've got a thought. you got a thought. Grace. What's your thought? Grace. Grace, grace and care. Grace yeah. upon grace. grace? Grace upon grace. Like Kirk Ruprecht style? Like Kirk Ruprecht style. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, to... And kind of enter into that space with that person, um, you know, and to, yeah, just to kind of just like the man does in yeah. the passage we just read. Um, you know what? You know what I share with like every couple I do premarital counseling with? I, I, I shared the Garden of Eden as this image of, of, of intimacy, that they're naked and unashamed, mm-hmm. right? And it's not you're naked as in like, check out my washboard abs, mm-hmm. but like <laughs> check out my, my keg of a stomach or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so you're in front of the other person, you're vulnerable mm-hmm. and, and yet you're not ashamed. And that's the ideal of intimacy, right? Like this other person can see me truly as I am mm-hmm. in, in pleasure as well as in pain, as well as in my shortcomings. And they love me, they mm-hmm. accept me. Um, and here, what you could do to handle that, I always think of this, like, when you guys enter that zone, mm-hmm. right, of of vulnerability and intimacy, do you make that zone a pleasant place mm-hmm. or a terrible place? Yeah. And wh- how what you do there is going to affect whether they're going to want to enter that again mm-hmm. in the future. Mm-hmm. So if I, if if I come with some kind of vulnerability before my wife and my wife, yeah, it's not to say she can't. She's never allowed to call me out on my 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 stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But um, if, if, if it's just a miserable time, mm-hmm. me being vulnerable, I'm not going to want to be vulnerable again yeah. and vice versa, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, and my wife is great at that, by the way. The only reason I put myself in the place of someone who's the one being vulnerable is because initially my mind thought that that would be more honoring to her. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, I am often a jo- jerk in the space of, of, of intimacy. So yeah. 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 Um, the, the last question is kind of like the same question. Yeah. So Ephesians 5, 31 to 32. Can you hold that thought as I read I it? I can. Oh, my gosh. Now it's like a sword drill. Go. Come on, hurry Go. Up. Oh, my gosh. What kind you of pastor You call yourself the pastor of theology? Oh, my what is gosh. This? Oh, my gosh. All right. Wait. Sorry. There we go. I just shamed you. And we're talking no, about I was actually going to say people. the exact same thing. <laughs> I was going to say the exact same. Yeah. You see what happens? Now I'm not going to want to sit down here with Franny next time. Okay. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. All right, so. The Bible is clear that marriage is designed to reflect Christ's love for the church. How does Jesus handle our shame and insecurities, and what does that teach us about how we, uh, how to be toward our spouses? Um, and I think, you know, very similar to what you were saying, Doug, like the, we realize that Jesus handles our shame and insecurities i mean our sin and takes upon himself and offers forgiveness and grace and ministers to us uh in in light of those things and we should have the same attitude towards our spouses and um i think you know maybe for some of us a bit of a challenge i feel like there can be areas of insecurities and dare i say even like maybe sin struggles or things that we wrestle through and um the next level of relationship maybe with our spouses in intimacy is maybe just having honest conversation and that takes courage and i think when we realize you know who we who we are in christ and his love for us and how he sees us 
um, gives us the ability to have that courage to maybe mm. you know share more openly with our spouses yeah. um, about those things. So that's awesome. Yeah, and the idea that he sacrifices in order he sacrifices himself in order to establish the relationship despite our weakness. Okay, so now uh, some suggestions for prayer. Pray for those you know who are either single or in a dating relationship that they would take to heart the truths we discussed in this passage. Pray for those who are married that they would display Jesus' love to the world through the way they treat their spouses. And praise God that he always gives us the example of Christ to show us what perfect love is. Um, of course, those are never the only things you can pray for, but uh, so just like some suggestions. Okay, well, that wraps up week two. Uh, right. Week two featuring the uh, Concord Clementine limited, limited edition Polar. Tell us what you think. Uh, the winter limited edition. Winter nice. limited edition, yes. Yeah, so I, I don't know why this would make one think of winter, but um, I, I can no see idea. drinking this on a, on a hot summer's day. It would have to be cold, though. I can see <laughs> if this was warm, if this was like lukewarm, <laughs> I, I couldn't good. do it. Yeah. No. So... All right, everybody, thanks for joining us, and uh, join us next week to find out what the seltzer of the week is. <laughs> if, if not, We've got a good else. one. We've got a good one for next week. So, All right, guys. Until then, thank you for joining us, and uh, God bless you. Yes. Bye-bye.